0: Series "Who Is My Neighbor?" and uh, I introduced it. Uh, Gareth followed on a wee bit last uh, last Sunday. So really grateful for Gareth, um, what he brought uh, to us. Um, so I suppose the the places that I was going to at the start, uh, as we introduced this two weeks ago, was uh, Luke chapter ten, the story of the the story of the Good Samaritan. Whenever the the expert in the law stood up and asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? We looked, at, uh, we looked at Matthew chapter 5. We just glim- took a wee short glimpse at Matthew chapter 5, and I think we'll come back to Matthew chapter 5 as we as we go on. Right in the, right at the center of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to, to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. Like if you just love those that will love you in return, what good is that? Even the, even the, the tax collectors, even the sinners do that. But uh, but I'm calling you to a different standard, calling you to love your enemies, to pray for those that persecute you. And so we're saying that it feels like there's no in the in the message and the call of Jesus. There's no one that is left out in the pursuit of loving really well. And so we want to we want to challenge our thoughts. We want to we want to provoke some thoughts as we as we keep on throughout this uh, keep on going throughout this series actually in Matthew chapter 22 reminded myself this week that uh, that Jesus again confronting the the Pharisees and the Sadducees those that were out to try and trick Jesus try to trip him up they started to come to him with questions and every time he was able to respond with such wisdom and such grace that they were always amazed in fact there's times where it says that he that he shut them up and they never asked another question but in Matthew chapter two, 22 towards the end of that chapter the, the the Pharisees came and they said what's the greatest commandment and Jesus gives the golden commandment that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind with all your strength and that you would love your neighbor as yourself here is the golden command that Jesus uh, answers but then it, it's just struck me that at the end of that the, the offering of this commandment the offering uh, the answer to the question that was posed he says in fact that everything, all of the law and the prophets, everything that you 've heard, everything that 's been taught hangs on this. It hangs on loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor as yourself and so when Jesus says things like that, it just it just gets my attention as i go through as I go through the scriptures as I go through and and and, uh, and his heart is further and further revealed. I realise that it all, it all is summed up in this this message of loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbour as yourself. He never separates the two. And so this morning we uh, we're wanting to keep on asking the question that we started with two weeks ago, and Gareth uh, encouraged us again with last Sunday. We're wanting this, these Sunday mornings to to constantly. Um, cause us to question how we respond to those that form the communities that we live in. And there is all sorts. There's all sorts that make up the communities that we live in, the the cities and the towns and the villages, the nations that we represent. Last week we spoke about Islam. We spoke about how we respond well to, to Muslim people. Maybe in our communities they don't make up a huge number, but we want to, we want to keep on asking the question. We want to be sensitive to how we respond to those that form the communities that we live in. And so this morning I I want to talk a wee bit about how we respond to, to the dysfunction of family, dysfunctional families. I don't I actually I don't want to use that word, uh, broken, broken families. I want I want to talk about how we respond to to the to the brokenness of family life, how we respond to the to the to the behaviours that are a result of broken family. I want us to be be asking the question: How do we respond to those harmful consequences that have led from the brokenness of family life? We find this very challenging, and so maybe for some of us, we uh, we couldn't think of anyone that make up, makes up our community that was, that, was, that was a Muslim person. But I'm sure that you don't have to think too far or too wide to think of somebody that's in your community, someone actually that has probably been unfairly labeled within your community as uh, someone broken, someone we've labeled dysfunctional. I love that David led us in that song uh, in the middle of our time of worship, that broken lives are made new. And I'd love us to truly believe that. I'd love us not only to believe that, but to begin to respond to people in such a way that we truly believe that broken lives are made new. That there is no one beyond his, his reach. There's no one beyond his, his astounding grace. There's no one beyond his, his arms and his outstretching uh, love. And so like Gareth... Garth introduced his time to us last week by saying that there is prejudices. We, there's people within our communities. There are is, there is behaviors that we witness. There is things that we come across, behaviors that we encounter that cause us to, to label, cause us to place a label on people and keep them at a distance. And so last Sunday, Garth said that there is prejudice, prejudices, that bring us to a place that we, where we become fearful. He was really honest as he as Guy shared some of his stories, shared some of his experiences, shared some of the the things that went through his mind as he encountered uh, people from uh, from a Muslim background. And I think the same thing can happen to us as we encounter those that are the most broken within our society, those whose behaviours can often disgust, that can often Cause us to become so offended, and and that uh, and we we place labels and we we build up barriers. There is prejudices that bring us to a place where we're fearful, and it keeps people at arm's length. And again, in Garth's, in the midst of Garth's, honesty last week, he said that there is prejudices that reveal our own insecurities in our own hearts. And I think that's what happens as we. Begin to, as we begin to pay attention to the thoughts and the mindset that we have towards certain people in our society, it can often actually just reveal our own insecurities, our own misunderstandings of who the Father is. And so if you're anything like me, uh, you started off this year, uh, if you're one that's that starts the, your Bible reading plan again in, Gen- in January the 1st, you start off in Genesis chapter 1, Math, some for some of you, Genesis chapter one and Matthew chapter one, and uh, and if you followed along the pattern, if you followed along the plan, uh, this today you'll be at, at uh, Genesis twenty eight and the final chapter of Matthew. But as we think of the of broken families, as I was, uh, I wasn't going to Genesis to, to find s- something to share this morning. But just in my in my reading plan, I became incredibly aware of the brokenness of family life uh, throughout the first twenty chapters of Genesis. You don't have to get too long into the story, into the narrative of Genesis before you encounter the brokenness of family life. We, we read of Cain and Abel. Death comes to a family through... One brother taking the life of another, the brokenness of family life, the consequences that come from um, from broken family. We read on, and and uh, and there's kids in the room. But Genesis 19, the story of Lot and his daughters. Reading that through that story again, it would makes your skin crawl. What what actually happened? The brokenness and the and the pain, the dysfunction of 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 family we get to chapter 25 and that's where gareth brought us to last last week and we see that isaac and ishmael and ishmael lived the rest of his days in hostility towards his brothers the brokenness of family life the consequences of 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 walking away from what god intended what it meant what it looked like to be people made in his own image and then I've just been the last few days in the story of of Jacob and Esau, the, the two boys of of Isaac and Rebecca. i reading reading yesterday that Isaac Isaac had his favourite he his favourite son was was Esau and Rebecca's favourite son was was Jacob. And Jacob this comes and he deceives his dad and and Rebecca's helping him do all of that. It, becomes, it gets to the stage where Esau just, he lives a life of hostility. He marries a Canaanite woman because he knows that it will upset his family. Jacob ends up having to go on the run because he finds out through his mum that Esau is wanting to take his life. And as soon as Isaac passes on, Esau is coming for Jacob. The brokenness of, fa- of family life. And the, it's this, it's the, the for me the issue is then the cycle that, that the next generations get into. And if you continue on in the Old Testament narrative, you'll get to first and second kings, first and second Samuel, first and second kings, first and second chronicles. and often you'll read this line that the, that the kings that they did just as their fathers had done. They did just as their fathers had done. And As we think of our own communities, as we think of our own societies, we 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 fire off these comments that um, that actually are. I find that are. I, I say them. I say these comments like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and we 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 just state them so blase that we we aren't recognising, acknowledging that the cycle needs broken. As we see the, the consequences of one generation doing just as their fathers had done. There's times where it just becomes worse, becomes more painful to read, becomes more painful to watch the consequences of doing what their fathers had done before them. The behaviors of their fathers, the harmful consequences that have come from the brokenness of family. And so my whole thing this morning that I'd love you to hear that famous line, if there's nothing else you take away from this morning, I hope there's more you take away. But if you take nothing away, I want you to hear, I want you to know, as you think of the families and the people that make up your communities, that you think about when it comes to this idea of brokenness, you think of this idea of harmful behaviors, harmful consequences to the behaviors of family I want you to hear this, that the family cycle of negativity needs broken. The family cycle of negativity needs broken. That's, that's the thing that got us over the weekend. God's just been stirring in my heart over and over again. Even as we, even as we consider Tuesday morning, one of our biggest prayers is, God, if this family cycle needs, needs broken. The family cycle of negativity family cycle of addiction the family cycles of of brokenness it need they need broken and the thing is that they're never going to be broken if we hold people at a distance these cycles these family these generational cycles of negativity and brokenness and harmful consequences are never going to be broken if we hold people at a distance if we keep them at a distance. What has struck me in my own in my own journey with God and with people over the last couple of years has been I will watch from a distance and I've and I've judged horrendously. I've I've judged people because of their behaviours, witnessing some of the the things that they do and the things that they say. And actually, when you decide to come a bit closer, when you decide to draw near. When like Jesus, or when like the good Samaritan, compassion causes you to draw close. And as you draw close, you begin to hear the story. When you begin to hear somebody's story, it becomes very hard to keep them at a distance. It becomes very hard to to, to judge them in the same way that you judge them from at that distance. And so I'm challenging you if to consider this question, if only, if only I knew the stories of these people. Trust me, it will change. As you begin to hear the the cycle that they've been caught up in, the cycle of harmful consequences, the cycle of certain behaviours, and you begin to hear their stories. You begin to look at them differently. You begin to you begin to see them almost as he sees them. I'm. Um, Re-reading uh, Philip Yancey's book, "What's So Amazing About Grace," and uh, I was flicking through the the contents uh, the contents page last night, and just struck by this line of one of the chapters that I haven't reread yet. But it's called the cycle of ungrace, and I just would love us that as a as a church family, as as people that even within your own family, within your own within your own a state within your own sphere of influence, that you would be one that would break the cycle of ungrace. It pains me to, to come close and to hear the stories of people and they've never once experienced grace. There was a story, I can't remember what, what I was reading, but it was a book, it was a famous book, I think, Scott Peck, The Road Less Travelled. And apparently, that in that book, there's there's stories about about purpose and all of these different things, and there's there's a huge chunk of it is about grace. And the, the story goes that somebody is reading this book, and somebody asks, "Well, what is grace?" And the response to the person who hasn't got to that place in the book yet says, "I don't know. I haven't got there yet." I was just in that moment that I heard that story being relayed that. It caused such pain in me to think that there's people that have never experienced grace. When someone asks, what is grace? It's that there's people within our communities and people within our societies that could possibly say, I don't know, I haven't got there yet. I haven't read about it yet. I haven't got to that place in my life yet where I've experienced it. And the challenge of that, the pain of knowing that there's people within our communities, people within society, people within our families, that are caught up in this cycle of ungrace. All I've ever known is the daily cycle of ungrace. And I just think that as we, as we are approaching this series, as we're in the midst of, uh, of the, our Wednesday nights, just stirring our hearts once again to pray for those who don't know Jesus, my heart is that we would begin to, to see the need, to see the responsibility even on us to break the cycle of negativity. And I don't know where else to look. I've got to this place now where as I, I come back again to the Gospels and I don't know where else to look. I do, I read a lot of books and, and, uh, and get caught up in a load of blogs. And there's a temptation to sometimes go there for an example, to go there for an illustration. But I watch Jesus as we think of what we're talking about this morning. I look at Jesus. Can't help but be caught up and attracted to, to, to what he does Concerning people that have a bad reputation. Concerning people that are, that are the notorious sinners. Concerning people that are disreputable, disreputable, however you pronounce that, characters. As Eugene Peterson talks about in Luke chapter 5. But here is Jesus in the midst of a religious environment. And in this environment, leaders love to gather other leaders that are like them around And so every time we we go into into the places where the Pharisees are having a meal, they always just bring around them those that look exactly like them, that talk just like them. Their guests are people who are just like them. And so in the first week, the first week, the thing that was challenging me and the thing that I offered to you as a challenge was that we tend to stay in our own group. We tend to stay in our own people, our, our own group, with the people that we are familiar with and the people that we are most comfortable with. And again, if you're anything like me, sometimes that can entrench you deeper into your own positions, into your own preferences, and into your own prejudices. And, and the thing that I said in the first week is that we, will be, what would be really helpful as we continue on in these this series on Sunday mornings, is that we get away from the language of us versus them, and again, I'm I'm looking to Jesus in this. Jesus, what do you have to say about this? What do you have to say about our response to the broken dysfunctionality of of family life? What have you got to say about the the cycle of negativity that surrounds so many? In Hebrews chapter two, verse fourteen, it, it says this most incredible line that Jesus. Aware of who we are, he came and he shared in our humanity. In spite of our, we all. What we think, what's important to say? Maybe we should have said at the start. There is a, there is, there is a certain brokenness that we all carry. There is a certain brokenness within us all, and it's because of that that Jesus came and he shared in it. And in spite of our some of the behaviours that, that we have, found ourselves in or some of the consequences of decisions that we have made we have found ourselves uh, feeling like we've been pushed away or we are the ones that do the pushing away but in spite of all the the behaviors in spite of all that we have said and all that we have done jesus comes and shares in our humanity it's an incredible line. it's an incredible testimony to the person of Jesus that he comes and he shares in our humanity. And In the first, in the first century, the, it was around a table. It was at a home. It was having a meal where Jesus made this really clear. Hospitality was really important to, to first century people. And to share a meal with someone was to actually identify with them. I think I've said it before that throughout the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is either going to a meal, he's either at a meal, or he's coming from a meal. And I'm struck by the example of Jesus. And I think it was this this demonstration how he was sharing in our humanity that he would come and he would share a meal with someone. And to share a meal with someone was to identify with them. And he just kept on doing that. And he often did it with the most dysfunctional. He often did it with those whose reputation was really poor. He often did it with those that were not well thought of within the community. We could take, we could take loads of time going through endless stories of how, how Jesus did that. But it's in Luke chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus that, that gets my attention. I think of the reputation that Zacchaeus must have had. We, we can take license and begin to begin to come up with our own conclusions of how Zacchaeus had found himself in this place where he, was, where he was so rejected, where he was so kept at a distance. His behaviors and his brokenness had kept people from drawing near. I think it's Eugene Peterson that in referring to Zacchaeus, um, in his version says he was a notorious sinner. That's what he was known for. And so in spite of, or regardless of his behavior, regardless of his reputation, Jesus looks up to Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, we're going to share a meal together. Zacchaeus, tonight I'm going to identify with you. Zacchaeus, tonight I'm going to hear your story. I'm going to draw in and round a meal, I'm going to share in your humanity. I'm going to identify with you. I'm going to hear your story, and I'm going to not push you away. And in fact, I'm going to break the cycle of ungrace. He does that this case. He breaks the cycle of negativity that has been that has shrouded this man. He breaks the negativity that he has got caught up in, and passes on, potentially passes on to his, to his kids and to those that f- that will follow after did what their fathers did, as we read in the Old Testament. Jesus says, I'm breaking the cycle. In chapter 5, again, the language that Eugene Peterson says is that, my version says that he was found to be sharing a meal with the tax collectors and the sinners. Eugene Peterson says it was a room of disreputable characters. And here Jesus comes and he identifies with them. He he acknowledges there's a stigma attached to these people that he's sharing a meal with. The religious people are so offended, they're so put out, that Jesus would come and identify with these people. They knew the significance of sharing a meal and and to watch Jesus sharing a meal with these characters, with these people of poor reputation, but Jesus comes and he breaks the cycle of ungrace. And the King James Version, not often quoted from, but the King James Version says that there, the verse 31 or 32 is that they that are whole need not a physician. They that are whole need not a physician. He's come to restore the broken. He came to break the cycle of ungrace. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 says that he came to, he came to seek and save the, the lost. The NLT says that he came to seek and to restore the lost. He came to put us back together. The brokenness that we had faced, the brokenness that we had found ourselves in, he came to make us whole. He came to restore the lost. And then Luke chapter 7, a fascinating story that again deserves more of our time, but it's the woman that Jesus has came to the home of a, of one of the Pharisees. It's just made up of Pharisees. It's made up of people who think and talk and look exactly like them. And and a woman with questionable character walks walks into this environment. And these people can't believe that Jesus would even engage with her. They can't even believe that Jesus would allow this woman to touch him. But here in Luke chapter 7, Jesus validates her. And he actually goes on to say, not in Luke's version, in another version, that her story, I think it's Matthew's version, that this woman's story will continue to be told. This story will never stop being told. And and it's one where Jesus validates this woman, caught up in a lifestyle because of brokenness, caught up in a lifestyle because of the cycle of ungrace. And he treats her like one with incredible worth probably the woman in the most the lowest rung of society, the poorest of reputations, the saddest of backgrounds. And Jesus comes and he validates her and he treats her like one with incredible worth. He makes her feel like she can belong. In spite of the behaviours that she's found herself in, despite in of the, the consequences of the decisions that she has made, Jesus in a moment makes her feel like she's worth it makes her feel like she can belong. Soren Kierkegaard, um, he says this, our duty is not to find a person to love or an object to love, rather the task is to find the person and the object already given or chosen lovable. Our duty is not to find a person so from today, I don't want, we don't want to just go out and, and, uh, and find a person that, we can, that becomes a project for us and we love, we find an object that we can love, but actually it's to find the person or the thing already given to us, or already chosen, that they are already lovable. And as Gareth brought his time to a close last Sunday, I want to bring this time to a close suggesting the same things that Gareth suggested. As he spoke of people from a Muslim background and spoke of Muslim people, he said that there is people that are trapped in a culture that they have found themselves in. And I think the same can be said about the people that we are talking about this morning. That there's people that have found themselves trapped in a culture or even trapped in a mindset that they have found themselves in. And we cannot let fear, we cannot let prejudices get in the way of setting them free. And as Gareth brought us to a close, he, he said, let us take a look at God's example. And as he brought us back to, to God coming and encountering Hagar and Ishmael, there was three things that Gareth suggested and the same three things that he suggested for last week, I want to suggest for this week. God example and that we follow it is that he took the initiative to engage he took the initiative to engage and he gave his blessing and he responded he responded by being attentive he responded by being compassionate and so those three things that I'd encourage you as we consider those that for whatever reason I'd encourage you to find out their story some ways to draw near enough that you can engage with their story, that you would take the initiative to engage and that you would give blessing, that you would respond and sometimes your response could just be from listening, from being attentive from being compassionate from not passing judgment and so where you, we find this brokenness for the sake of a better word or, we're reluctant to keep on using it but f- whether you find th- this dysfunction where you define this brokenness in our communities uh, my prayer is that you would do the same and where it's appropriate where it's appropriate maybe the best thing that you can do to identify with them is over a meal for some that the thought of that just is a bit too scary for some it maybe isn't appropriate with, for whatever reason but maybe for some of us in the room, the, the challenge that's, is that we could take and that we could actually, could be a realistic possibility that we could identify with them over a meal. That we could bring them to our house or we could sit over a table. I'm to finish with, with the challenge of Jesus. Jesus in Luke chapter 14 verse 12 to 14 says that when you give a lunch or a dinner when you host a meal don't invite your friends your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors if you do they will invite you back and then you will be repaid but when you're given a banquet or you're hosting a meal invite the poor invite the broken invite the crippled invite the lame those that can't see and you will be blessed and although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. That'll just a prayer for us, and then Robert's going to come and close our time out with a uh, with a couple of songs of worship, and uh, and then we'll have tea and coffee, and then hopefully we'll see you see you tonight.